0: It was very clear this was going to be a major impact.
1: Hello and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, George Oliver, the chairman and CEO of Johnson Controls. He'll talk about the unique role buildings play in tackling climate change and the power of daily habits and rhythms. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader.
0: Especially in the last year, it has been everything we do on steroids.
1: During the pandemic, doctors and nurses were joined by a different sort of frontline worker, those in critical infrastructure. Johnson Controls, a provider of smart building technology, was needed nearly overnight to construct temporary hospitals and isolation rooms to help those impacted first by the coronavirus. George Oliver is the CEO and chairman of Johnson Controls. He chatted with Meet the Leader about how the crisis challenged the company and its more than 100,000 employees to throw out roadmaps, move up deadlines, and find new ways to keep colleagues and clients healthy and safe. He also explained how buildings took on new importance during the pandemic. As coronavirus spread, more and more people woke up to the reality that buildings can help in an even bigger battle, the climate, showing how technology can act as a multiplier in tackling energy efficiency and a number of other problems simultaneously.
0: My building, how does it contribute to my carbon footprint and what am I going to do to? to optimize that carbon footprint.
1: George talked to Meet the Leader about how Johnson Controls navigated the pandemic and what kept his teams grounded during this ever-changing time. He'll also discuss the powerful role that routines and rhythm can play in a company in solving complex problems, as well as the routines that he depends on the most.
0: Leadership needs to have kind of a rhythm, engagement, collaboration, which drives innovation, and then ultimately performance. If you stop the rhythm, then you're going to start to sacrifice the opportunity.
1: You'll hear all of this and more on this week's episode of Meet the Leader. But first, he'll take us back to February 2020, when COVID had just begun to wreck its havoc.
0: It was very clear that this, this was going to be a major impact. So we were working in February and March. So when it did hit, we were very much prepared. I can remember when... We're one of the first companies that, that shut off travel here in the U.S., when at that stage, there was kind of there was a view that we're not going to be impacted. It was internally was like a major issue, you know, and it was like, listen, we're shutting off travel because this is going to protect you and your families and that we at this stage are not going to be contributing to to potentially the spread if we do anything different than that. And so we were one of the first companies that shut off travel. And then everyone, within a week or so, everyone pretty much followed. And then, you know, obviously sent everyone home and and then went to work relative to what are we going to do short term? What's the impact? And probably most important through that period of time was keeping everyone focused on the mission. And the mission was, we're essential. We're supporting critical infrastructure. So we mobilized. I talked to many heads of government across the globe and making sure that they understood how important we were to being able to provide the support for them in responding to to the pandemic And that not only maintaining our essential status but but doing some things that from a resource standpoint we had all the resources we needed to maintain full operations you know within the field as well as within our manufacturing facilities and so we were working every element and then making sure that that at the operating level at, at the at the business level in the, in the field, really putting an intense focus on customers. And so we, we participated in setting up like 80% of the temporary hospitals across the globe. And so we were on the front line. We immediately deployed people capabilities, setting up temporary isolation rooms to be able to treat you know the people that were infected and, and, and provide the proper care right from Wuhan, right out of the gate in China, right pretty much across the globe. And I have talked to many of those employees that are on the front line. And at that period of time, you can imagine the emotion that was being had because they felt they might have been putting themselves at risk with all the proper protection, that they felt that the mission that they were performing was just incredibly important, right? The idea that we're going to contribute to saving lives and providing infrastructure that was going to be critical to being able to navigate the pandemic with the mitigating or minimizing the amount of impact that it, it had to life. So so I, keeping everyone focused on what matters, you know, what's critical, and I think was really important. And I think has kept people extremely motivated with all the change that happened as a result of the pandemic.
1: So no one can be prepared for a crisis at this scale. But uh, what in your background did you depend on most? What guided you when there was no roadmap?
0: I would say that when you look at my background in GE and, and Tyco and then now John's controls, you know, I've had an incredible opportunity to work for great leaders. You know, I would I would list a few only to give you a sense for as I was developing my career and in, in, the, in, the, in the individuals I work for with Jack Welsh and working with Jim McNerney, working with Dave Cody, working with Dave Calhoun, Ed Breen at Tyco, leaders develop leaders. And so the opportunity that I had to learn to be exposed to leaders like that, dealt with those situations, responded, how, how they built teams, how they communicated I think back and, you know, each, even though each one was very different, obviously each one was very successful. You know, you got to have a, a team that has a passion to win. That's what we've got in in John's controls. That's number one. I would say number two, is, it's this getting back to, okay, doing that. How do you then take the fundamentals and drive the discipline and the accountability for this belief that there's a, there's an infinite opportunity to improve. And then this idea of creating confidence in engaging everyone, this idea that everyone is fully engaged, that they're confident that they can, they're empowered and and can contribute and, and really make a difference. And so I think with those four principles, they served me well.
1: COVID put a new focus on buildings and how they keep us healthy, how they keep us well, can you talk a little bit about the role buildings play in an even bigger challenge in tackling the climate?
0: Buildings and infrastructure represent about 40% of the global carbon footprint. And when you break that out, about 25% of the 40 is is tied to the construction of buildings. And a lot of that's tied up in steel and cement and, and the materials. But the other uh, 75% is operational and There's an incredible opportunity within buildings and infrastructure, which has lagged other industries as far as digitization of those industries, and the ability now to be able to leverage technology combined with the technology that historically we've had in the products and in the different platforms within buildings, the ability now, all of that coming together with technology, building a data platform, and then ultimately using the data To significantly enhance the outcomes. And the outcomes can be reduction in energy consumed. And you can reduce, you know, as is buildings today, that that can be upgraded, that can be connected, and then be optimized and and reduce energy consumption 30, 40, 50 percent. So it's significant. With that connectivity, you also not only get the savings, but it's it's a big element of making buildings and infrastructure more healthy and safe, given that that now is is front and center with with all of our customers and you know across the globe how do you do both so not only do you elevate the ability to be able to increase the, the health and safety of a building at the same time that with the connectivity with the use of data you can now reduce the the energy consumed and be able to do both and so as we think about the pandemic it has accelerated or has repositioned buildings and infrastructure in a much more strategic way, where previously it was it was kind of viewed as infrastructure and it may be cost, but it wasn't looked at strategically around what is the the, the level of health and safety in my building. So buildings and infrastructure have certainly been elevated, you know, given the events of the pandemic, and now strategically how our customers are now looking at buildings and infrastructure.
1: And what role does tech play in this You guys have a program called Open Blue. What role does that and maybe other technology play in tackling these goals for the climate?
0: Well, I think it starts with when you think about the technologies such as 5G, IoT, um, artificial intelligence, you know, they're reshaping industries and ultimately reshaping the world. And I think with the pandemic, all of that has only accelerated. And so that pace and acceleration of the development of the digital economy, especially now in smart cities and smart communities is, is incredibly exciting for us because of the position that we have uh, w- within the building. We define it as healthy buildings, which are healthy people, healthy places, and ultimately healthy planet. And it's the the technology that, that brings all of what historically has existed within buildings, and it brings it all together to ultimately automate buildings. And it, it's an ability now to truly not only like I say, elevate the, the health and safety of the building, but truly now optimize how buildings are operated, how they're used. And then with all of that data, with AI that's applied to that data, it's around automating and then optimizing, you know, the, the way that the building operates. And so for us, you know, we believe if you look at the the big vectors of growth for Johns Controls, because it, w- it would go back to our history, You know, we are a leader with what we do and what historically we've done with HVAC equipment, with security systems, with fire systems, with building controls, with retail solutions. And we've been a technology leader and we have continued to reinvest in technology in those products and platforms. What has changed now with technology is the ability to bring all of that together and to create using the data to create the insights that ultimately now enables fundamental disruption within a building and how a building can actually be operated. When we did the merger of, of Tyco and, and John's Controls back in 2016, it was with a vision that ultimately this was going to happen, that, that all of these multiple systems were going to be coming together, all of the digital infrastructure within a building that historically has been served as individual platforms, all of those platforms coming together. So then... It not only simplifies the infrastructure, so think of it as the operating technology being built into the IT, the information technology of the building, and then within that, being able to consume or utilize all of the data that comes off of these multiple systems, and then depending on what problem you're trying to solve within the building, and number one is energy, you can quickly now utilize all of that infrastructure and data and AI to reduce it, like I said, 50% or you might want to use use all of that connectivity to understand occupancy, which is critical to how you actually deliver indoor air quality. So you wanna know what your occupancy is. So as you're running your systems, you're not only achieving the highest level of of indoor air quality, but you're doing it efficiently with the energy that ultimately is consumed. Or just the pure digitization of the building, like, like every other industry now, every occupant or every user wants everything through their mobile phone. With that connectivity, how does that tie to whether you're in a city and you wanna get access to train schedules or, or other information outside of your workplace that optimizes your productivity? How does that all get connected within that environment that ultimately drives productivity for the occupant? So there's just tremendous opportunity. In, in Open Blue, we had a vision with the merger that all of these platforms would come together, that we would build a, a data platform, and then utilizing that data, apply analytics, artificial intelligence, and then ultimately focusing on outcomes versus, you know, historically buildings have been capabilities, you know, that ultimately were separate and apart. How do you then take those capabilities and truly now differentiate the outcome that can be produced, you know, combining those capabilities? And so we accelerated the the pandemic actually was a, an opportunity to take the vision that we had when we did the merger, all of the work that we've done over the last four years and accelerate the launch of our, of our digital platform, which was originally planned. It would have been at the end of, of 2020. We actually brought that forward six months because it was enabling us to be able to begin to solve some of the new problems that our customers were looking to solve around indoor air quality around the health and safety of buildings. And then now ultimately with this acceleration of getting to net zero carbon emissions, recognizing that buildings are a huge opportunity and the the digital element of buildings is gonna be the means to being able to deliver on those types of savings.
1: You talked about how your team moved quickly to react to the pandemic, moving up deadlines, big initiatives, a lot of companies needed to do this. What ingredients in the Johnson Controls culture made that possible?
0: You know, when I think back, and and a lot of that is the journey. It really is an output of the journey we've been on as a company. Um, that we we did the merger. We we had an incredible portfolio. We've been working to to really create one one team, one culture, and then within that, you know, obviously a strong leadership team and in an environment where everyone can contribute. And that's what drives success. And I think as we, we have worked through this period of time, and those were fundamentals that we were working to develop as we were transforming the company. What the pandemic did was actually accelerate, accelerate our ability to actually you know, come together, really focus on engagement. And you can imagine right from day one when everything got shut down, you know, within a matter of a week or two, everyone was remote and we were worried about how are we are going to run the company and and how are things going to get done and, and ultimately continuing to operate. And it was fascinating, you know, how quickly we use Microsoft Teams environment, how quickly and agile we were in maintaining our connectivity and, and the pulse and our communications and engagement um, through that process.
1: You've talked about accountability and discipline where does that show itself in your organization
0: i think high performing companies are a function of commercial fundamentals how you go to market understanding margins you know having lean sgna and then ultimately how it converts to cash so those those fundamentals and everything you do is is working to improve those fundamentals while you're then leveraging improved fundamentals to be able to support growth and growth is through it's really outside in, really understanding customers, what they're, what the problems are that they're trying to solve, um, how you can differentiate with technology or new products, and then being agile in how we deploy resources to, to support growth and you know growth of our customers as well as growth for the company, and so having a leadership rhythm that ultimately it's almost like in, in an enterprise creating you know, a high-performing machine with a high-performing culture that ultimately then creates an environment that empowers everyone to be able to contribute, knowing what is expected, not only from an operation standpoint, but from an innovation and growth standpoint. And it creates so much momentum. And so you have to have a leadership rhythm to, to do that. And so what we do not only, you know, on a monthly basis with the leadership team going through strategies and and what have we learned in the last month and how, how are we going to pivot and what is that going to mean and how we allocate our resources, which is very important. But we have a weekly rhythm that ultimately everyone comes to play. It's a stand-up where we have, you know, certain topics that require decision-making. It's all driven by understanding the, the numbers or, or the fundamentals. And then with the evaluation of that, what are we now going to do different? Or what are we going to change? Or how are we going to reallocate resources to solve the problem? So you can have all the right fundamentals, you can have the right culture, but it's then, uh, how do you operate that engages, that gets people excited, that gets them focused on the customer? And then every step of the way, you're always solving problems, not only for the customer, but but as we work internally, are there things that we can do better? And, and it creates a what I would call a high performing culture mm-hmm. in how you work. And what about your
1: own work? Are there habits that you really depend on? Something you swear by?
0: I'm very disciplined around my own, you know, health and well-being. And so everyone knows that I'm I'm an early bird, so I get up early, um, work out at, at four o'clock in the morning. Then when I come into the office, you know, I'm ready to go. I ready for the day and and so that kind of has set a tone, you know, relative to the pulse that we have. And and then like I said, we have, you know, through the course of the day, we have set rhythms during the month on different topics. My time outside the company has significantly increased, meaning that the first couple of years with the transformation, we were very much focused on improving our fundamentals, executing on the on the integration being able to capitalize on what we saw to be incredible value if we could bring all of these platforms together create a digital platform and then ultimately be positioned to really differentiate how buildings and infrastructure is operated so a lot of the focus was was really heads down going to work fixing fundamentals and then building you know growth platform you know over the last year and prior to the pandemic but it accelerated during the pandemic that now the ability to take everything that we've built and what we're doing, and as we think about these what I would call growth vectors of, of sustainability, you know, decarbonization, sustainability, you know, health and safety of buildings. And then digitization or digitalization of everything we do, not only how we work internally, but then how does that translate into how we deliver digital solutions for our customers? And so having a pulse on all of the priorities and delivering on that, I've uh, stepped up and now I'm chairing the Energy and Environment Committee on the, the business roundtable. And that now has come front and center because of obviously the the changes that are being made and ultimately the commitments that all of the BRT companies are, are making around getting to net zero carbon emissions here over the next couple of decades. And so a lot of the time, spent has been more external because now as we're operating, how do we then become the thought leader in how we ultimately achieve, you know, these bigger goals of getting to net zero carbon emissions or, or or, really being positioned to significantly elevate the health and safety of buildings or or truly being the leader in how we solve problems. And so a lot of the time has been spent connecting with the outside world and and being a much bigger thought leader. But the other time spent, it's increased productivity significantly. Like I can connect individuals, teams on a frequent daily basis, connecting with employees across the globe. You know, the connectivity, the motivation, inspiring talk and strategy, recognizing people, recognizing teams for great work is something that historically I always valued, but didn't realize how little I was doing, until you go through a period of time, and then obviously with new tools, it gives you an incredible opportunity to take what you know is important and really significantly elevate. It. When I look at you know the engagement that I've had with all of my constituents, you know with customers, with the BRT and and, and peers, and and how we're, we're driving some of these trends, and and obviously working with my board but also probably most important, how we've totally created this connectivity within the company with myself really setting the tone relative to what is kind of expected.
1: You mentioned a bit about your morning routine. Uh, when do you get into the office? When do you start work?
0: I'm an early bird, so I like to get into the office before six. And so I'm usually in the office and that's a great time for me because as a global company, all of my my catch-ups with um, Asia Pac team or the European team, but it's really good time for me to really catch up and connect, you know, with the global entities within the company, and that's where I really get established for the day and, and and get you know prepared so that I can be most productive because I think that is so important. I'm a big believer in sleep, and so getting the proper amount of sleep, and then ultimately being on because I think, especially in the last year. It has been everything we do on steroids. And so being be able to do what you do and do it as well as you can, I think is, is very important.
1: You mentioned the importance of uh, sleep and getting up at four o'clock means that you must have a very disciplined night routine. Uh, what is your night routine?
0: Prior to the pandemic, obviously a lot of travel, you know, a lot of dinners, a lot of uh, customer meetings, a lot of partner meetings. So that was before. If you... Now I'll look at just the, the, the pandemic. My wife and I; she's she's got asthma, and so we were very concerned about um, her, you know, getting the virus. And then we really have been extreme in our you know staying safe, meaning that we pretty much didn't do anything. <laughs> and so through that period of time, because I come in early, I, I would go home in the evening at a reasonable time to be able to, you know, have dinner with her to have a little bit of socialization with her and then ultimately I do go to bed fairly early. Usually I'm on for, you know, early in the morning and then after about 12 hours, I'm good at shutting it off, saying, okay, I'm, you know, I'm good for the day and unless there's a crisis, you know, I, I can shut it off um, and then ultimately get the appropriate rest and, and go at it again the next day.
1: You talked about the importance of rhythm and routine If you didn't have these routines, what would happen? How would you be different?
0: Leadership, you know, needs to have kind of a rhythm, engagement, um, collaboration, which drives innovation, and then ultimately performance. So I think that that rhythm is absolutely critical to any high-performing organization. And it does start with the leader, you know, as far as establishing that rhythm And, and, and staying focused on, you know, priorities and the leader needs to create simplicity, focus, and then enable. This idea of the rhythm is, is that, is to make sure that you're always, you're creating clarity, you're focusing, you're engaging, you're motivating, and you're inspiring. And in those rhythms is how you do that. If you stop the rhythm, then you're going to start to sacrifice the opportunity. In the last year, as we assess our organizational health on an annual basis we had a significant pickup you know from an overall organizational health performance and it is a tribute to a lot of the work we've done around engagement and and creating you know strategic clarity and defining roles and responsibilities and getting everyone fully aligned to what ultimately we're trying to achieve and so I think you know that is extremely important and and then then creating the rhythm to ultimately Be able to sustain the overall performance. You know that you're ultimately trying to achieve.
1: Is there a book that you recommend? Something that challenged you
0: or affected you? I think the most recent book was Bill Gates' book, "How to Avoid a Climate Disaster." You know, it sets out a wide-ranging, very practical, accessible plan for how the world can get to zero greenhouse gas emissions in time to be able to avoid a climate crisis. So it it reinforces all of the science and ultimately. You know what's going to be required to to solve it. And he spent a decade or two learning about this and ultimately creating a passion for it. You know when you look at renewable energies today, whether it be sun, wind, you know, although they've dropped dr- dramatically, there's still more steps that need to be taken from an innovation standpoint to be able to solve the problem. And I think it's that that if we provide the resources and and everyone you know really comes together to to not only understand the problem but 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 set a path and how we solve the problem, we can actually do that. If you get alignment to what ultimately needs to get done, and then you you go to work and allocate resources appropriately to what you're trying to achieve, then ultimately the problem can be solved. So when I think about the book, you know, it, it's um, practical steps to to be able to achieve the big goals. And, and I think it's a cause for optimism that is described in the book. And I think it translates into a lot of what we're doing within Johnson Controls, because we believe that we can really set the stage for the future of buildings and how buildings ultimately contribute to getting to net zero carbon emissions. And so for me, it was, you know, totally reinforcing. As I've talked to not only other CEOs and, you know, my colleagues across Johnson Controls, I think they also, having had the opportunity to read the book, also became very energized with the with the idea that, hey, this is solvable. And it does mean everyone coming together to, uh, to work the problem. Uh, an example, we have a tech challenge every year focusing on the opportunities that employees to send in their ideas and innovation to power our customers' success and, and ultimately protecting the environment. And we received 96 registrations from over 300 employees in nine different countries. So this is not unique to the U.S. This is broad-based globally and something that is extremely motivating to our employee base. And all of these submissions, we believe, have the potential to result in a new product or service that ultimately we could perform, improving a process or ultimately a partnership or an offering that could ultimately contribute to our commitment. It's clear to me that there's absolutely a desire to come together to be able to solve the problem. So we've demonstrated that as a company, and and therefore we've been able to really ignite um, our our employees around that, and I believe that that's going to be a big element of of how we truly transform the technology, the products, the solutions, the services that we ultimately can provide to our customers to be able to enable their success, which then ultimately contributes to solving the entire problem. You know with the, that we're facing here with climate change.
1: That was George Oliver before we go, don't forget Meet the Leader's sister podcast, Radio Davos, helping you understand the biggest problems of our time. Find the latest episode of that and Meet the Leader on wef.ch slash podcasts. That's it for me. My thanks go out to Robin Pomeroy and Gareth Nolan and to Kletia Sala for all of their help with Meet the Leader. And my thanks go out to this week's guest, George Oliver. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts and follow us online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.